Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Horror Bites on Savory, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I'm getting nostalgic with the sound of cassette tapes, and I imagine he would agree. Together, we are Neil Bolt and Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? It's going pretty well, man. About 10 minutes before we started recording, I had a uh, Xbox Series X delivered to the house, so we need to wrap this up as quickly as possible. <laughs> hey, it's not well, as of recording, it's not Friday yet. Alan Wake 2 isn't out, so you don't have this to... This is true. You don't have to rush just too, too much just yet. Um, anyway, this week is a special episode. Yes, we are not covering two games, but a collection of 30. And you may think, Christ, this is going to go on for a while. But no, <laughs> uh, Super Rare Games Super Rare Mixtape Horror Edition curates a host of short indie horror titles of recent times and showing that the curator, Ryan Brown, okay, Toad's Anime on, on Twitter, has excellent taste. It features quite a few titles we've covered right here on Horror Bites. Um, I'm going to give a general review of this collection first, and then Jay has selected one of the games in this collection that was new to both of us. Now, these games and demos on this can be found on Itch.io and Steam individually, so you can play them right now without the mixtape, although you know you should really try and get the mixtape if you can. It's really cool. It comes on a little cassette with a USB in it, an old-fashioned uh, VHS box. Um, we'll obviously put the link to the site in the show details for this week as well. But so first this week, as I said, breaking tradition on this format of Horror Bites, I am going first, really digging up the controversy here with this one okay so yes as i was mentioning the super rare mixtape is you know a baby of ryan brown himself you know who's only just left um super rare this was his last sort of mixtape where he curates all these great indie games of different types and puts them together with the right flavor you know like a mixtape should now as a big horror fan himself he really wanted to do something that was very horror based um, before he left and he got to and this was one of those things and it's a great thing because the booklet that sort of comes with it which is my little sort of feed for what's in there comes with a little sort of message from him at the beginning which I'm going to read out because I think it quite 
you know, resonates with a lot of what we've said on this show after, uh, you know, the last couple of years we've been doing horror whites in its various forms. So, you know, he says, the indie scene and horror go hand in hand nowadays, with breakout hits from sites like Itchio coming from the horror genre more than any other. There are literally too many brilliant games to think of, thanks to initiatives like the Haunted PS1 and content creators garnering millions of views on these spooky works of passion. Having released four variety volumes of this physical mixtape project in the past, it only felt fitting that we respected this with its very own spooky collection. Packed with 30 horror or otherwise Halloween-themed games, and a handful of exciting demos as well as a ton of features presenting the history of these titles that may have otherwise been completely lost to time, is a genuine honour of a lifetime. As a huge horror fanatic and lover of all things grassroots indie, this project truly represents a lifelong dream. And then you know, general thanks for that. And you know, it was nice to see, you know, because on the side of we are here, you know, we're press or media, if you will, you know, we cover what's supposed to be covered most of the time. And, you know, and this is why we like doing this is because we get to do something that's very much about us. You know, that's what I really like about what Ryan's done with this is it's the PR side of stuff. And, you know, the behind the scenes of a company actually getting to, curate something like this that you know really resonates you know yes yeah. you know, an actual physical collection of the games you know that some we've played some we haven't and, you know, literally a plug-and-play system you know you put it in play any of them no installs nothing like that that's marvelous you know i've got things like you know uh, our lady of sorrow on there you know things like that and um the shopping list those are games we've covered plenty of and like straight from the menu for this, there's this really cool thing with like it looks like stacked tape decks, if you will, of like each the side of each one with the, like the logos for each game, and you know you just launch off there. And you know there's demos for other stuff we've covered, like the Pixel Pulp stuff. Uh, the demo for the newest one, Bunch of Nights, is in there as well. But yeah, it in that regard, it's marvelous that we've got this little collection. So yeah, it's gonna say that really um it's uh it's quite overwhelming when i got down to it and thinking just uh, we cover this so much that it feels quite natural to us to sort of know oh yeah i know this game i know this game. it was kind of quite exciting to just looking through the list of games and like i know this game or i've played this game like that and someone else has played this game that isn't you know the developers you know between themselves sort of sharing these games, which has been the other sort of experience we've had. You know, it's um, I think our chat with Airdorf recently was like the first time we've heard anyone outside this sort of talk about the games we've been playing on Horror Bites. Sure, and, yeah. And we were like, oh yeah, we know this one. Oh, yeah, we know that one. And it was like so for two instances of that to come quickly it is fantastic. Um, yeah, so I think having things like this is quite important as well. You know, I'm hoping, you know, I know Ryan's obviously moved on to different things. He works for Lost in Cult now. So, which is, you know, it's a very different kind of curation of uh, media. I mean, he's doing a horror book next for that for them as well. So yeah, he's kept my interest <laughs> on that one. <laughs> um, yeah, I was going to ask you, you know, in terms of like that important question, preservation, you know, I think it's going to be very important with, games from itchy and places like that because it's dangerous in a way there's so many gems we've played that could just be lost forever and you know this did not always going to be this accessible so i wonder 
and someone reached out to me recently and this week in fact um the developer behind tamarindo's freaking dinner which we covered uh before and was saying about like this game jam that's coming up now where they're trying to curate it into this big you know meta thing where it's got its own like magazine from 1998 you know games magazine Mm. and they're going to do all these cool things with it and yeah and making it feel like a piece of a whole when you're doing a game jam rather than just you know piecemeal if you will sure so yeah how do you how do you feel we should sort of go forward with this with the tackling of curation i suppose yeah you know it's really interesting and it's the type of thing where i've really enjoyed us being able to cover these mixtapes, if you will, this one is a little more literal yeah. uh, and actually putting them <laughs> on a tape itself, but getting to see such a wide swath of creatives coming together and, you know, having a theme or some type of idea that ties them all together has always been the beauty of game jams, mm-hmm. right? And so then it's been up to basically us to go in and see, oh, this game jam sounds interesting. We typically learn about it from something that we've picked previously, whether we picked it because of its association with the game jam or not. But then, you know, you get that nice little link in the Itch.io description typically that then takes you to the rest of the entries in that game jam. And you get to see how such a wide variety of creatives from different skill sets and different backgrounds come together and they have their own, you know, interpretation of how they can utilize a theme or something like that. And it is the type of thing where, you know, I make a point to not delete the files for the horror bites that I've really enjoyed that I might want to return to. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to play these once a month or even once a year, but eventually in the future, I could see myself wanting to, you know, revisit some of these things. So I've almost been creating my own little game jams on a, uh, you know, a folder on my basically PC that is storing some of these games and then kind of trying to group them, maybe whether or not they were intentionally supposed to be grouped together because of a specific theme, but like, I think of it as, you know, oh, this is an art style that I appreciated. This is a bunch of unique sort of, um, I suppose, approaches to gameplay that tackle a familiar genre in a way that is unfamiliar. And, you know, it is the type of thing where I've been thinking to myself like, oh, I would love to put these on a flash drive too, because there's always the type of thing where it's like, well, aside from hardware failure, what's to say that some of these games won't just disappear from Itchio one of these days or something along those lines. And, you know, I think that when people that don't necessarily always think about perhaps preservation as much as we do, or, and that's not to say like they should be faulted for that. It's just that, you know, it's more of, I think, hardcore enthusiasts are like, well, no, this actually has a much greater value than maybe the average player, the average just media consumer really thinks about. Cause you know, all we think about is games and movies <laughs> and all these different things all day long. And it is the type of thing that, you know, when we talk about uh, creatives such as like Dan in Fiction, right, who's been doing uh, Incident in Grove Lake and then, of course, Our Lady of Sorrow, let's say one day decides to stop making games, God forbid, and all of a sudden those projects disappear from Itch.io. Well, those games left a real impact. And I think that the importance of a service like Itch.io, which we've talked about many times, is and hasn't always been in the most positive light, but like how people latch on to certain things and then how we see games or motifs or graphical styles trend on services like itch.io granted sometimes we see the like bare bones minimum effort put into latching onto a trend but at the same time for every game that trends even if there's 10 games that try to do the same exact thing but to a lesser degree just to kind of 
ride that hype wave, if you will, there's definitely at least one or two that are taking what they've learned from an experience that left an impact on them, that resonated with them and giving their own creative spin on it. And, you know, whether or not you can say certain things are worthwhile or not is very subjective, but it's the type of thing that when I go back and I look at some of the games we've played half of the time in the description, there's something in there that says or indicates what an inspiration was. And then I go seek, seek that project out. And I really think when we're talking about preservation of games and especially in a user created space like itch.io, there's a lot of uncertainty there with a lot of those projects. Um, So I think that getting something like this, you know, physical tape that you got that has those on there is a step in commercializing these things in a way that's not only hopefully going to generate revenue for these indie developers. And most of the time it's one person that spent who knows how many months, how many sleepless nights developing these things. But more importantly, it's a hard copy of something that even if somebody doesn't, you know, play that tape for more than a week or explore that tape for more than a week, it's still a hard copy that will guarantee that those things will continue on. And then, you know, who's not to say that somebody might upload those files if they ever disappear on, you know, the digital services that originally hosted them. Um, so yeah, you know, when it comes to preservation in games, this is a long-winded, <laughs> long-winded response because, you know, preservation in games is one of those things that, I don't know, maybe it's um, getting older, but it's like, I always worry about when I'm experiencing something that's only available in a digital format, the longevity of it. Because yeah. I think that I've seen examples more recently in film than in games where, you know, having the rights to something that I bought on a service just disappear because of the fact that that service went out of business or who knows, there's some kind of um, licensing issue where all of a sudden, if I didn't hard save that file, that the licensing for a file that I bought, all of a sudden it's invalid if I go back and try to access the digital server that it's on. So I think with games and again, something like this, where it's like people that aren't backed by a publisher, people that are releasing this uh, by themselves on a service like Itch.io or something along those lines, ensuring that these things are preserved is really of the utmost importance, I think, because if you don't, then you get to a point where, oh, I was influenced by this game. I don't know what that means because that was 10 years ago and nobody else has played it since because that file all of a sudden disappeared type of thing. Well, yeah, I mean, you have to look um, at the era of Flash games. And, yeah, uh, that, oh, that's 100%. A, that's a great example of like just things just gone. Because um, yeah. the internet, <laughs> the mm-hmm. way it works. So yeah, it is very important to have uh, you know, things like this. And hopefully, like I said, hopefully there'll be more of this with um, Super Rare. You know, who are you know, treasures to indie games anyway. You know, in terms of like doing like physical releases for games that wouldn't have got one. Anyway, um, I've had stuff from them before that like uh, Sally Face on the Nintendo Switch. You know, that game was like a cult following, and, like. To have a physical copy of that is like really cool, and like to the point I have to leave it sealed, untouched, and <laughs> play the <laughs> game. But but yeah, it, it's good. I mean, the other thing about this is you know, there are games that we've described before. You know, like the fifteen minute ones. You know, obviously the shopping list is one of the longer games we've played. You know, but like one of the tentpole things in here that really sort of caught me, caught me off guard was a game I played and reviewed for Bloody Disgusting a few years ago called sagebrush which is like up to five hours long you know as a game goes and to have that in there you know in a collection of 30 of games was like okay yeah this is cool you know to have that and that 
That's a really interesting game because, you know, it's very atmospheric, sort of very much about the aftermath of a cult leaving this place. And, you know, it's horror in a very atmospheric sense. But, uh, and, you know, visually, it's just one of those games that just has stayed with me. More, maybe more than the content in it, but it's just, you know, a game that I, I'm kind of glad to have a physical copy of, so to speak. Well, I'm looking at the Steam page now and I just added this to my. Uh my my watch list, if you will, for what I need to buy as soon as I get some funds, because uh, <laughs> that looks exactly like my kind of game. Yeah, I think it's on consoles as well. So, oh, there you so go. There you go. So it's on everything. There you go. Something for the Xbox when you can. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm gonna break in my brand new console with that game. Oh, look, yeah. When, when I got this new PC, I did not break it in with anything new. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So. As I said, plenty of games that we've covered, plenty of games we haven't due to you know, before we started doing Horror Bites, we just missed them in general. So that's been fun covering them. And in the second half of our show, we're going to cover one of the games that we hadn't touched before, which is a demo of a game we haven't touched before. Um, and we will be back in a short while to discuss that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back. Jay, you have picked a game featured in this collection that we have not played before. Um, it has, it's, it's a sequel to a game that is also on here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a demo of this game that is upcoming. So please tell our lovely listeners all about it. Yeah, I think I was feeling very nostalgic this week because what I decided to go with was Biocrisis Return to the Lab, which is probably my favorite sort of retro hearkening back to the on-rails light gun shooter era uh, of my youth, which, you know, spending countless hours in arcades playing stuff like Time Crisis, House of the Dead, which are pretty clear influences. And for Biocrisis Return to the Lab from developer who simply goes by Jim, the follow-up is to the original Biocrisis, and it is very much, again, sort of akin to those light gun games from late 90s, early 2000s, in which you're fleeing from a lab, which was the setting of the first game, and now you have to fight through hordes of zombies and other horrors. Um, So I'll say right from the start, when it comes to these types of games that you don't quite literally have a plastic, you know, light gun in your hand, um, the controls is probably the number one thing that I think about because of the fact of how, you know, responsive they have to be to keep up with the fact that if an enemy touches you once, that's one of you know, three or four health bars that you have. And the fact that, you know, you have a limited clip size and there's a brief reload period. And if the tightness of those controls is not up to snuff, that's going to very, very quickly become a frustrating experience, which then you are not going to want to continue with, let alone seek out the full-fledged product when you're talking about a demo. And I'll say that the controls for Biocrisis Return to the Lab are so tight that it took me maybe one or two lives to really like actually be like, oh no, yeah. okay. There's not this delay in the reticle moving or in the amount of time between a zombie getting up close and personal to me to then actually dealing damage. And as soon as I realized, oh, this is actually 
you know, exactly as tight as it should be. And I went into it with that in mind. I was like, oh man, this plays like a fucking breeze in a way that so few of these games that I've experienced that have been on itch.io or steam and whatnot have not necessarily been able to capture. Um, I'll say that this game, you know, it has a great sort of throwback aesthetic to it. I think at the very beginning of the game, there's like a warning sign that made me yeah. think about, I think it was area 51, which was another light gun game that oh, yeah. it was infamous for this warning on screen that said like, there will be blood and violence or something along those lines. <laughs> and in this game, there's an early warning that says it contains techno and zombies, which I think is the perfect primer for showing that the developer understands they're hearkening back to this older era, but they're sort of giving it the mo more modern sensibilities, perhaps, from an aesthetic standpoint, where it has this really great sort of rip-roaring techno little bit of, um, I suppose, EDM background yeah. behind it, um, which is really, really great. And then, yeah, you know, I think that the game does a great job of building upon what I would consider to sort of be, and I don't mean it necessarily as an insult, but like the bare bones of the original hmm. Biocrisis, because I went back and played the original one to see, you know, the amount of growth, I think, from that base game to then the sequel. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And it is, I mean, if you played the original one or you even see a screenshot from the original Biocrisis, it is, you know, worlds apart in terms of presentation, technical scope, and overall just, I think, environments, because the original game... It was one of these very, it looked like it was from the sort of early 90s where it's a static background and then you have these enemies that, you know, pop up and they move closer, closer, slowly to the screen. More like Operation Wolf than House of the Dead, I think, which is fine, I think, for uh, in terms of like an aesthetic, if you could go for it. But that wasn't the vibe they were going for. So I suppose it felt like a compromise that they could do at the time. Sure. Yeah, yeah no. And I think that's a perfect way to describe it because when you get to the sequel... And it has that traditional sort of ever moving rails. And, it, you know, so you're kind of like, oh, wow, the scope of this and the technical prowess behind this is so yeah. much larger than the original. But more importantly, you see some modern directorial, if you will, evolutions on the on rails, because there are sections where your character is constantly like looking behind them and looking to the sides where the perspective shifts, which sometimes will result in a new avenue for combat. And sometimes it's just more about kind of putting you in the boots of the person that's on this, you know, zombified roller coaster, if you will. Yeah, it is um, exactly the sort of light gun game I wanted. You know, House of the Dead is House of the Dead. Uh, one of the things that always bugged me about it was it wasn't, it didn't quite feel zombie enough for me you know, in terms of what it did. Um, it's just, it was a bit too varied in terms of like, uh, just they were monsters rather than zombies. Where, you know, there's a lot of zombie stuff early on here that feels quite, fun you know quite like yeah it's an outbreak it's more resident evil you are trying to escape and i i really enjoyed that aspect of it and, you know just simple little things like putting red barrels in there and you know, just you know, <laughs> blow up things it, it's exactly what you want and you're right it, it does just feel like such a jump up and you know and that, this is what we speak about all the time you know the amount of getting experience from game to game to game at this level and really just pushing it further the next time you get a chance and you know, there's promise in Biocrisis, you can see it, but you know, mm -hmm. and you can see, as I said, where the compromises had to be made in terms of like getting there. But the confidence in this already in, in demo form is just striking, you know. Um, and I've, I've seen a few games, you know, try the light gun approach and not quite pull it off in recent years, 
so yeah, I think this is probably one of the better examples. You know, I, I've definitely seen, and even without a light gun, I think. Yeah, it, it, you know, PC is probably a better place for that. I think just because on a console, sure. you know, on a pad, doesn't work for me. It, it's um, no. it's a bad time. Uh, you might as well. You feel like you've lost something in, in terms of because light gun games should have like a helplessness and a power fantasy nature to it. It's like this balance you've got to have going. And on consoles, you just feel like you're not getting enough to do. You know, like you feel like it's fiddly and it's wrong. Yeah, mouse and keyboard is, you know, not to be one of those people, but I think here is like it's a superior <laughs> option, you know, like that. Right. <laughs> so, well, yeah. I completely agree. Whenever I've played a like gun game on a console with just the thumbsticks, I'm always kind of like, this feels like a bonus mode rather than a full fledged experience. And there is a little bit more to playing a like gun game on PC where at least you have the nuance of moving the mouse. So it's more involving. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, especially like the first two lives that I played, I was kind of like, oh, you know, it'll be this sluggish thing. And then when I died, I was like, oh, no, that place is more emphasis on the fact that you play this on PC because of the responsiveness of the controls and the mouse and everything. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll say is just the overall pacing of it felt like somebody that was intimately familiar and had an adolescence that stemmed from playing like on games because of the pacing of not only enemy types, which in this, you know, in typical uh, light gun fashion, they identify the zombies on their toughness by the different outfits they're wearing. Yeah. But then, of course, you have, you know, zombified birds, and then they have limb throwing uh, zombies. <laughs> and then even when you talk about, you know, pickups, or there's, of course, there's a shotgun pickup that has very limited ammo, and then a MAC-10, and then health and stuff. It all feels like it is not artificially difficult but at the same time not really giving the player sort of an easy out for every single encounter uh, and the same can be said for the sort of the placement of explosive barrels and these things it all feels very in line with an experience that you can go from encounter to encounter and be like this could be it or i could go on a run here and not really worry about uh dying in this moment and i like that hesitation to be like never feeling too comfortable yeah. um you know Every time I found a pickup in an environment that changed the tide of something, of an encounter and whatnot, like that was an incredibly satisfying moment where all of a sudden I found a shotgun and that saved my ass <laughs> until I could find a health pickup, which, you know, are few and far between. So you really sort of get into that that rhythm, I suppose, of memorizing certain level layouts, which then win a game like this that has multiple um, avenues for exploring certain maps. There's some of that replay value and then the high score type of thing. Um, but yeah, this was one that I was really looking forward to playing the final version of to get to see more environments, more boss enemies, which this game ends with a boss fight, uh, which felt very much like a blending of uh, House of the Dead, but also with the sort of mutagen stuff from Resident Evil, of course. And yeah, yeah. this was one that really stood out to me on a uh, a tape that was filled with plenty of quality titles. Exactly. And um, just to say, you know, obviously I've covered it before, but you know, VR is like the other natural home for shooters like that now these days and there are there are good examples but you know i think if you could have a game like this in vr it would be like the best sort of thing you know, like that because it, it feels like that classic thing and you'd get the classic feeling of you know lifting up a gun shooting it like that like that's um yeah that, that's what i want yeah so please you know, do well enough as a game yeah. so <laughs> you can somehow get a vr port someday um we're wrapping things up though now um 
Thank you again to Super Rare Games and to Ryan for providing us with a copy of the mixtape. You can purchase a copy at uh, superrarogames.com slash collection slash mixtapes. Um, if you're a developer of an indie horror game demo, concept or game jam entry, as ever, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter or SaferInPod at gmail.com for email. So if you'd like to be interviewed or highlighted on the show. Jay, it's been spiritual. We'll see you all next week. In the meantime, we will keep searching for more horror vibes.